Good morning, and uh, glad you came today. We're in the book of Acts. If you have your Bible, we'd like to invite you to open them to Acts, and we're going to go into chapter 5. But before we do, I'd like to just read to you out of Acts chapter 1, this great empowerment of God called the Holy Spirit. What it will do in a believer's life. This is found in Acts 1 verse 8. Jesus is speaking here, and he says, But you shall receive power when you receive the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, we look at this, the word power is the word Deutimos in the Greek, it means dynamo, it means generator, not dynamite that blows up and it's over, but it keeps going to be martyrs. But notice it says this, but you shall, and that says maybe you will, maybe you won't, you know, it depends on how you feel that day. He says, you shall be. And I like that. That tells me a couple of things. Number one, God's work in us is a process. I think a lot of times in an instant society that we all live in, God, I want it, I want it now. And I find that God builds into us his character over the course of a lifetime. I really like that. The second thing we find is as they're gathered there, and as we go to uh, chapter 3, and we look at verse 30, I believe it is, it says, And they're all praying and thanking God. And it says, by stretching out your hand to heal the signs and wonders that may be done throughout the name of your holy servant, Jesus, that may be done. So they're praying for God to do miraculous signs and wonders. Peter and John had just healed a guy that was by the gate beautiful for 40 years. And we remember silver and gold we don't have, but what we have, we give you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. He grabs the guy's hand, lifts him up, and the Bible says he went running, leaping, and praising God. Now, I don't know how he was able to have the balance and all those things. Supernaturally healed, supernaturally gifted, but the guy was happy, and the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the day, weren't. The old idea, a good deed won't go unpunished. Well, as they did this wonderful deed for this man who was crippled, the religious leaders of the day objected horribly to it. But that didn't stop the early church from continuing to see what God would have for them. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word this morning, we ask you now that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, give us that wisdom that uh, goes beyond our understanding, and Lord, that you would impart to us that supernatural anointing that comes from your word, that in fact, we would also be witnesses in our town, in our county, in our state, and the uttermost parts of the world. We ask you the same anointing upon us in Jesus' name. Amen. We remember last week, a guy named Barnabas. His name means son of consolation. He was a guy that if people were having a problem, they would go to, and he had a lot of God-given sense, and he would be able to reconcile the problem. Hey, you really mad? Okay, you're really mad? What are we, you know, it's kind of what you need in your home when you have children, if you know what I mean. 
how you break up a fight without them killing each other. Well, Barnabas, his name means son of consolation. He had a possession, he sold it, and he gave the money to the the church. Again, the church there in Jerusalem was under tremendous persecution from the Sanhedrin, from the religious leaders. By the way, friends, initially, not from the Roman government, not from planning and zoning, not from the witches' coven, but they were from, their problem was from the organized religion of the day. And I think that's important because the problem is they had dead orthodoxy. They had the ritual, they had no power. Now, Jesus addresses even Christian churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 about those who started in power, but then it became dead orthodoxy. In fact, Jesus says to the first church that I mentioned in the church at Ephesus, he says, return and do the works you first did. In other words, not out of duty, not out of obligation, but because you love people. Again, the motive of our heart sets a stage for everything else that we do. And if we're just going through the rituals, which that church was doing, which the Sanhedrin was doing, once having the anointing of God in their life, now replaced by, well, this is my job. I don't, I pray that none of your relationships with God ever become a job. I pray that it becomes that which God, you see God work in your life every day. And that is so important. Barnabas donates some land. The church was poor. They were under persecution. And so everybody was helping everybody. And there was a choice. Whenever you see something and and people are going, oh, Barnabas, way to go, dude. Man, that was great what you did. No doubt the accolade that was going on, there was a couple of people in the church there as well. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. Ananias, um, interesting guy there, had a piece of property. And as we read here, he sells it, but he holds back part of the money. Now, God doesn't care if we hold back part of the money or not. But the idea here was that he was trying to represent him something, himself as something that he wasn't. Hypocrisy uh, from within any organization, hypocrisy within your own personal life, in your personal home, whatever it might be, will always lead to issues and problems. Because the real, genuine motivation is not true. Let's look at this. It says that his his wife sold a possession, verse 2. And they kept back part of the proceeds. His wife also, being aware of it, brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now this is weird because you'd think, they're thinking, boy, we're going to get a slap on the back like Barnabas just did. But Peter, now remember... The gifts of the Spirit are different in every individual. Now, Peter evidently had several of these gifts, and one of them was the word of knowledge, because something didn't set right, and God revealed it to him. 
You know, I, I remember back in church years ago during the Jesus movement, and I was with a group of people, and service was over, and we were all talking, and I remember this one person walks up, and he says to this other guy, he says, how are you? And he goes, I'm fine. And this guy had the word of knowledge. He goes, he looks right at me, he says, no, you're not. And the guy was flabbergasted. What? He said, how are you doing? I'm fine. He goes, no, you're not. And the guy breaks into tears and starts weeping because things weren't right in his life. The facade of I'm fine, I'm okay, breaks away. And this is what I find the Holy Spirit does. The, the Bible says God is a, the searcher of hearts and revealer of secrets. He knew that something wasn't right. He spoke it. Peter here in verse 3 says, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? He's saying, you didn't have to do this. Why do you do this? He said, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. Now, friends, this is really important because people say, well, nowhere in the Bible does it talk about the Trinity. All I can say is they're not reading this Bible. Because here you find Peter saying, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. You don't lie to an essence. You don't lie to a cloud. You don't lie to a feeling or an emotion. The Holy Spirit is a real person. The third part of the Trinity, and here we find Peter saying, you lied to him. Now, as we get down here another verse or so, we're going to see that Peter calls the Holy Spirit God. And so we're going to look at this. But notice he says, why has he filled your heart to lie and keep back part of the money? Notice he goes on and says, while your property literally remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? He's saying, look, you're lying over something here that is so stupid. And by the way, friends, I have found that we can lie over the stupidest things, can't we? Man, I'll tell you, you look at your kids, they'll tell you stories. You look at people, they'll tell you stories. Talk to a used car salesman, they'll tell you stories. Now he says... When it was yours, you could have done whatever you wanted to with it. So he says here, you have not lied to men, but to God. First, he says you lied to the Holy Spirit, and then he calls the Holy Spirit God. Now, friends, I think that's important. This is what I've done in my Bible. Maybe I should just hold it up so you can see. You can't see very well, because especially if you're in the back, unless you've got really good vision. Okay. I circled the word Holy Spirit. Then I drew a line down to where it says God. Because I like to be able to prove to people when they tell me that Jesus is not God. The Holy Spirit isn't God. There's just Jehovah. Make the connection. That only Jehovah is God. Jesus is Michael the Archangel. The Holy Spirit is an essence. No, very clearly here, 
The Holy Spirit is enough of a person you can lie to him and enough of a person that Peter calls him God. You need to know this. Like I say, today most Christians cannot defend their faith. This is one of the great problems that we find today universally in the church. Pastors do not teach the Bible. They're life coaches. They do not tell you what the Bible says. They are motivational speakers. I pray I never become any of those. But I pray that you will understand and defend your faith. As I shared this many times, when I was 18 years old, I was in Whittier, California, and I remember I heard a knock at the door. I opened the door. We had a screen door, of course. And I remember looking at these two well-dressed gentlemen. And they began to tell me about their religion. And I knew what they were saying was wrong, but I did not know how to defend my faith. And I remember when I was standing there, I said, God, you need to do something in me so this will never happen again. Because the thing is, as they walked away, they thought they won. But the truth of the matter is, I'm the one that won because God kicked me in the shins and said, you can't defend your faith because you don't know my word. So the change was to go from fuzzy, warm feelings to really being a disciple of Jesus Christ. There's a big difference, friends. I know a lot of very sweet, good Christians that love God, and they don't know one Bible verse. Yet Jesus said, we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then why isn't that top priority for every one of us that are called by his name? Got to ask the question. Now, the reason why I know this is because it happened to me. There's nothing that makes you feel any more defeated than as a Christian, you can't tell people why Jesus Christ is Lord. That you can't defend that only through the name of Jesus Christ can men be saved. Well, we believe there's a lot of paths to God. Really? We find here in Acts, the preceding and the chapter before, where they said that there's no no other name under heaven where men can be saved. So we know then that it isn't all paths lead to God. There's only one path that leads to God. The Bible says, straight is the way, narrow the road, few there be that find it. But why is there few that be that find it? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. Number one is maybe they've never been told. Number two, maybe they've never been corrected in believing that all paths lead to God. Maybe they've never heard about Jesus Christ. See, when I start looking at all those things, this is what it does. It creates in us the desire to say, I want to make a difference, God. The Holy Spirit empowering us isn't to swing on chandeliers and knock over rows of pews like Tiny did in a church in Walnut, California when I was there. I remember this evangelist smacked him in the head and, you know, heel, you know, kind of, and he, he was a big guy. He weighed probably 400 pounds and he just toppled the 
pews went boop, 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 boop. You know, I mean, just knocked them all over. And I went, whoa, that's something you don't see every day. But people blame the Holy Spirit on a lot of things that he doesn't do, and he needs to get credit for what he does do. And when you see that, and you realize that God in you, the hope of glory, that becomes a catalyst in your heart that begins to change. You, know, you ever notice catalyst, what that does? You can say, well, Mike, what are you talking about? You ever use paint? And I don't know how to say this other say the epa came out and realized that when you painted a house with lacquer thinner or paint thinner that as the paint dries it gives off hydrocarbons i don't want to get into this too much okay so rather than having paint evaporate what they decided to do is use catalyst you have the paint you have the hardener you put them together and four hours later whammo you got a chunk of plastic or paint on your house or whatever it is. So hardener in pain is becoming more of a thing. But that's a catalyst. The point is, is this. When you put the Holy Spirit in you, that's going to be a catalyst to cause a reaction for God to do what he wants to do in your life. And I really believe that, again, our Christianity is really uh, not what we do, but who we are. And there's a big difference. Now, yes, it's true. We put on the righteousness of Christ. We wear him. The Bible says that. There's no good thing dwells in the flesh. There is none righteous. No, not one. If this will relieve you a little bit, you can never do enough good things to get to heaven. We're sinners, and but we're saved by grace. And friends, that's the good news of the gospel. We clothe ourselves in his righteousness. But now that I'm in him, what does God want to do in us. So, the early church is forming. We have people now coming in, as it says here, Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias' name means God has favor. Sapphira, his wife, means beautiful in Aramaic. Now, when you look at this, it seemed like they were anything but that. Now, this doesn't mean that they weren't Christians, friends. I I, I want to point this out and make this very clear. It doesn't say they're not Christians. It doesn't say they were. It doesn't say they weren't. They just sold some land. They held back part of the, the, the proceeds. They gave part of it to the church, expecting the accolade that Barnabas got in the previous chapter, only for Peter to be supernaturally empowered with wisdom, saying, hey, listen, what's going on here? You're not being honest. And what it happens, and Ananias, hearing these words, fell down, breathed his last, so great fear came upon all that heard these things. He died. Now, people talk about being slain in the spirit. Probably this is a place. Okay? But the thing is, God didn't say, maybe he might say, Peter didn't say, and because of this, God's going to kill you. No, I don't know what caused Ananias to die right here. Supernatural? Absolutely. Was it stress? Because he knew he lied. Everybody now is looking at him. He knows he's lied to everybody. By the way, friends, stress can do really bad things to you. 
That's why Peter says, casting all your cares upon him, he cares for you. You need to have that diversion in your life so you can free up to be who you are. And by the way, if you're not a Christian here today, you need to get rid of the sin in your life so God will free you up to be who you are. But if you're carrying around the sins of your past like a ball and chain, you will never excel to the place where God wants you to be. So the Bible here tells us that Ananias, hearing this, falls down dead. Now, again, this caused quite a stir among everybody and as it says, those that heard these things, fear came upon them. Verse 6, And the young men arose, wrapped him up, and carried him out, and buried him. Boy, that was a fast service, wasn't it? <laughs> You're dead. Okay. All him out. Well, what's weird here, then his wife comes in, Ananias. Hearing these words, fell down, breathed her last, so great fear came upon all those that heard these things. Then the young men rose, wrapped him up. Now, it was about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, tell me whether you said sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. So it means that they were in conspiracy together over this. They were in conspiracy together. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look at the feet of those who have buried your husband. They're at the door, and now they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet, breathed her last. And the young men came, found her dead, carried her out, buried her with her husband. So great fear, no no doubt, came upon all the church, upon those who heard these things. I'm glad God doesn't do this today. There wouldn't be a whole lot of us in the building. Now, here's the point of this. People say, well, what's the point of this? I believe in the, in the very beginning of anything, you got to be careful of what you allow to come in as normal in whatever you're doing. Um, I was sharing with a, a, a person years ago, and I said... Um, and I shared this many times, but it's so true because this is where the point is. Uh, she says, I'm divorcing my husband. And I said, why? And she said, well, because he's a raging alcoholic. And I asked her, I said, well, let me ask you a question. Did he drink when you were dating him? And she said, yes. And I said, well, why did you marry him then? And I hear this answer over and over again. I didn't think it would be a problem. Isn't that the truth? In the very inception of a relationship, you have bad things. The bad thing here was deception coming in, believing that lying was okay. Stealing glory from people who really did give everything. And again, Peter said, this was in your property. You didn't, you didn't have to give all of it. You could have gave 10%. That would have been fine. He didn't say that. But the point is, 
it was yours. You could do whatever you want. But he lied to get the accolade of the people. Now, one thing I have found in life and studying the Bible, God will share his glory with no one. And in sharing God's glory, this is what I mean. You take what isn't yours. I've had people sometimes call me on the radio and, and you'll answer questions and say, oh, Mike, you're so wonderful. I go, look, God's good. We're all bozos on this bus. And remember that. I don't want to take God's glory. That's one of the things you don't ever want to do. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's where the power of God comes from. It's from him. And if I think for one minute, it's me doing it, man, I'm telling you, Ananias and Sapphira's people that carried him out can carry me out. You see, the problem is today is that we live in a me-generated society where everybody wants this accolade without really doing the work. This is the problem. Ananias and Sapphira, they held back part of the money. God didn't care if they held back part of the money, but it was the deception that was beginning as the early church was forming. The deception had to be dealt with. And let me share this with you in your life. The things that are little right now in your life that seem to be, well, it isn't that big a deal as your life goes on, can be really big. Those things in your marriage that seem to be really little, well, you know, a little brewski here, a little brewski there, and then they turn into raging alcoholics. You can't live with them anymore. Wouldn't it have been better to dealt with that in the very beginning, like we find God dealing in the very beginning of the church right here with deception than to wait till it wipes you out. But see, I find that generally, I can speak this honestly, we're lazy, I'm lazy by nature. I mean, if there's a if there's a lawn that needs to be mowed, it's a hundred degree day, or I can go in and lay in front of the swamp cooler, guess what I'm going to do? I'd rush rather lay in front of the air conditioner. Well, why is that? Because... There's effort involved. Well, again, by nature, I believe this is the way we can be. But I want, in my life, I want to see God do these things that will motivate me to do, and I want to be careful that I don't become complacent with what I see. In other words, somebody asked me one time, why do you guys have 500 radio stations? I said, because no one told me to stop. Well, here's the thing. A lot of people would be complacent with whatever it is that they're doing. Well, I led that person to the Lord. That's good enough. Well, no. Wouldn't it be better to lead 100 people to the Lord or 10 or 15 or 1,000? You see, I, I find that we, as God's children, are so capable of settling for so much less than God's best for you and me. I find that. In other words, well, God, you blessed me here. That's great. Hey, see you later. No, God says, I want to keep blessing you. But I have, that requires a little effort into say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? I don't want to just take the blessing and run, but I want to say, you know, somebody asked me one time, they said, if you found a dollar bill, 
on the ground, what would you do? And I thought that was a weird question, but, you know, some people said, well, I mean, and you're in the middle of nowhere, so if you found a dollar bill on the floor, what would you do? Well, I'd go buy an ice cream cone, or I'd, I'd, I'd put it in my pocket, or whatever. They asked me what I'd do, and I, I said, you know what I'd do? And they go, what? And I go, I'd look around and see if there's any more. <laughs> Maybe whoever's losing their money might lost a lot more. And I believe that we need to have an eye, as we did before we were born again for sin, to have an eye for the blessing of God. And by letting things come into our life, into our home, into our business, like deceit in this particular case, pride. This guy wanted the accolade of the people like Barnabas got in the previous chapter. That's what they wanted. But that isn't what God said is right. So notice... It says, so great fear fell upon all the church and upon all that heard these things. And through the hands of the apostle, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. Now, this is a weird verse. He said, not all of them joined them, but they all thought, hey, they're pretty good people. Why? Because I believe of what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. There was the demonstration of the power of God in their life that God said, no, you're not going to do this. And so a lot of people didn't just run and say, okay, yes, I'll join you. They went, whoa, whoa, you might end up dead here. But it didn't stop the church. And what happened to Ananias and Sapphira did not stop the church. It had no lasting effect upon the church, but it was a purification. By the way, in our lives as Christians, we have what I call blessed subtractions. You know, when God takes something out of your life, be glad that he does. Well, God took this, I was dating this person and God took him out of my life. Oh, thank the Lord for that. God knows more about that person than you do. You'd be a lot better for God to take that person out than marry that person and find out all the other garbage that's going on in their life. God knows more than you think he does. And I I, I think the reason I say it that way is because we think sometimes God doesn't know. And and I'm convinced of this because I've even listened to my own self pray. And I've prayed to God as if he didn't know what was going on. And so I better tell him. Shared this many times. I was in a church in Southern California years ago and and, uh, Wednesday night, and there was a Bible study, and afterwards there was a time for prayer. People come up, and um, uh, people were praying out loud in front. And this lady goes, oh God, did you see the six o'clock news? And because she thought evidently he didn't, she told it to him in great detail. And I thought, 
as silly as that is, that's a lot of times the way I pray as well. I I end up talking to God like he completely never knew me before in my life. Well, God, you know what I'm going to... You know, and I find that as we pray, in the Gospels it says that God knows our needs before we ask. I like that. So I don't have to tell God what I want. And some of these goofy TV evangelists say, well, you've got to be exact because that way God won't make a mistake. Whoa. That's a real problem, ain't it? I've got to tell God what to do so he won't make a mistake. Boy, talk about a little God. You need a big God. A God that knows what you need before you ask. And let God straighten it out. God's all called me to say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, friends, more and more as I live my life, as I look at the news, as I look at, and by the way, it's completely distorted. But as I look at all the stuff going on in our world, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know, I want to see Jesus' kingdom come. The sooner his kingdom come, the quicker we're all out of here. And you know, I don't think that sounds so bad anymore. You know, when you look, you know, I, I thought it was interesting. I listened to this thing about the G7. Have you heard, anybody heard about that? You know what the G7 is? It's where these governmental leaders get together in Europe and, and they all get together and decide what they're going to do with all of us. I think it's kind of weird. And the G7 said, no more internal combustion engines after 2035. So about another 12, 13 years, you can kiss your car engines goodbye. Now, I don't know what they're going to do for tractors, making food and transporting goods and all those kinds of things, because they live in fantasy land. Things just move around on their own. And I was thinking, where do these G7 people, as they fly around in their Learjets and their big commercial planes, with them being the only one on the plane, because they're special, they don't interact with people like us folk. They get to live, and, and talk about a carbon footprint, their jet puts out more carbon dioxide than towns in Nebraska. The hypocrisy of the G7, of these leaders saying what they're going to do to us, somehow doesn't fit with at least the Constitution. And I look at that and I realize we are living in a nutso world. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. You know, you you look at all this stuff and you go, man, what is going on here? Who gave them the authority over you and me so they can be hypocrites in the supreme sort of way? Again, they don't want us to have cars, but they can have jets. That's hypocrisy. And I look at that and I go, wow, God. During the millennial reign of Christ, and friends, I don't believe it's that far off. You got a seven-year tribulation period and then Jesus is going to rule this world. Friends, It needs to be governed by him. I look at that and I go, wow, God, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. It's so important in the days that we're in. So people admired the church. They weren't quick to join it because they realized there was some real power going on here that they had not seen in the religious leaders, in the Sanhedrin. 
In fact, the Bible says that they were amazed with Peter and John, their level of intelligence, their knowledge of God's word, but they knew that they had been with Jesus. You know, you're known by the people you hang out with. You hang out with God, you hang out with Jesus, that wisdom, knowledge, righteousness will rub off on you. You hang around a bunch of people that have no regard for anybody else, that is going to affect the way you look at people. The Bible tells us in Proverbs, the good doesn't rub off on the bad, it's the bad rubs off on the good. You need to be careful of the company you keep. You need to be careful of the people you date. You need to people be careful of the people you pick for friends or the people that you associate with in a company or a corporation. All those things are so important that we get that right. And so it says, verse 14, and the believers increased and were added to the Lord. Even though some didn't want to join them, that says they were increased and added both men and women. So that they brought the sick to the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by may fall on them. Also multitudes gathered from surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing the sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Imagine this. Peter's shadow falling on people was healing them. Now, was there anything magic about a shadow? No. It's a point of contact for a person that needs a touch from God where they would see the hand of God work. By the way, friends, again, remember, this week, you're the point of contact for a world that doesn't know Christ. That's who you are. That's why we're here. I just think, wouldn't it be great if we had services? Now, if you want to accept Jesus, come on down here this morning, and do you want to accept Jesus? Yeah, pray this prayer. And then right when you're praying for him, and and they say amen, they go, and they vanish. They're in heaven. I, I think that'd be cool. But you know what? We're here for a reason, and we're left here for a reason, and that's to be salt and light. Now, you don't need boldness if you have no message. The empowering of the Holy Spirit is that dynamo in you that keeps you going, and you will be witnesses. The word there is martyrs, which means you're going to be, you're going to be powerful witnesses up to your death. Wow. If you have no message, there's nothing worth dying for. If you have no message, there's nothing worth persecuting you for. And so as we look at this, we realize that God has given us a message for a lost, sick, dying world. Their sins can be forgiven. God will heal them. You go from death to life. You go from darkness to light. And you have a purpose now for your life other than just occupying space. Now, you say, well, how does that happen? God's a miracle-working God, friends. God takes the ordinary and makes it extraordinary. Now, first, you have to realize something. You and Jesus... You're extraordinary. That's who you are. 
Second of all, be careful of settling for way less than God's best in your life. Now, I'm not talking about, well, I get a new car now. Mike said so. No, I didn't say that. What I'm saying is what God wants to do in your life to reach people. By the way, the only thing going from this life into eternity is people. The wood, the hay, the stubble, all gets burned up. The precious things that remain that were done for God, that will go into the next life. And that's what you're going to be rewarded on eternally. So we want to then realign our purposes and principles and values with God's. So, equipping yourself, knowing what God's word says, will help you defend your faith. You have the dynamo of the Holy Spirit in you to stand up for what's right even to the point of death. Now, friends, when you start looking at what God has made us, he's made us indestructible, little message-bearing human beings in a lost world. And when we see that though the disciples were challenged by the Sanhedrin in chapter 3, do not speak in the name of Jesus anymore, chapter 4, don't speak in his name anymore. They said, should we do what God says, or should we do what you say? And they said, we're going to do what God says. And that's exactly what they did. Well, people from outside now, Jerusalem, following what Jesus said, are now bringing their sick, so even the shadow of Peter falling on them would heal him. Is there anything magic about a shadow? No, but it's a point of contact. And friends, people outside these walls, outside of your circle of friends, need that point of contact. I pray that you represent Jesus to them in a way that they have never known before. You see, that's what God does. He takes an ordinary person Dumble, bumbling, stumbling in this world and saves us, puts his spirit in us, gives us a dynamo, gives us a message and says, you're going to be, you're going to be this way until you burn out. And I go, great. You see, we all have that. This morning, if you're not a Christian and you're carrying around a ball and chain of the sins that you committed 20 years ago, 30 years ago or yesterday, It's time that you cut that loose. You might be a Christian and and, and you've got a sin in your life that you just won't let go of. That is what's holding you back from being what God wants you to be. Don't you realize we only have so much room to contain. Our little hands only hold so much. And if we're holding on to the imitation ice milk of this world, we'll never have the real ice cream. We have to come to the point where we say, okay, God, as a Christian, I'm not talking about worldly people here. I'm talking about Christian. As a Christian, I will trust you to empty myself of that which I held on to that gives me me an ID, identification, gives me purpose, meaning, value amongst myself and my friends. And say, okay, God, I'm going to let that go. And from now on, I want you to, to put in my life what belongs and take out what doesn't. You know it. You know it. You know what you hold on to. But God says, listen, I want to give you the real thing. 
And you know, God and his great love and great understanding and knowing you personally, that you're the only person like you on this earth that's ever been, ever will be. God knows, I know exactly what you need. Your father knows what you need before you ask. Man, I don't even know what I need. But God does. So this morning, if you're not a Christian, I want to invite you to accept Christ. If you are a Christian and you're holding on to empty things of the past that you know are holding you back, I just would invite you in Jesus' name, Lord, cut the chain and let God free you so you can be who you are. Don't be like an Ananias and a Sapphira that says, oh yeah, everything's good, everything's fine. Yeah, we sold it for this much money. You're just lying to yourself. You're lying to your friends. You're holding yourself back. You're taking the glory rather than saying, no, I turned it all over to God. God took that out of my life and now he's putting in my life what belongs. You see, who is really in control of Ananias and Sapphira up to the time that they got smoted? They were. wasn't God. That's what God wants to do. Let me take the wheel. And then I'll tell you something. I have found it's a good thing. Do you know what happens when you're in the back seat and God is driving? You ever see the bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot? I don't have that bumper sticker because I don't want to be a co-pilot. I like to be in the back. Yeah, but I don't know where I'm going then. No, but you know the chauffeur does, and that's God, and he's driving you where he wants you to be. And I'll tell you, that's a whole lot better than us going, I want to drive, I want to drive. Where are you going? I don't know, but I want to drive. That's us. God says, turn it over to me. This morning, if you need to accept Christ, you know if you do or you don't. No, of course you do. But we put our excuses up there. Or if you're a Christian that's playing games with God, maybe a little bit like Ananias and Sapphira. How are you? Fine, not really. You can pray right now and let God take over. We're going to pray, and we're going to also ask the Holy Spirit to fill us so that we'll be those witnesses that will have that power in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. His blood covered my sins. He rose from the dead to give me life. And so, Father, give me that life that comes from you. Separate me from my past, my sins the things I've held on to that make me something. And fill me now with your Holy Spirit that I'll be about your business, that I'll do what you want me to do. Thank you for writing my name in your book of life, that I can spend eternity with you. And so now I commit my life into your hands to make me the best I can be. In Jesus' name, amen.